Jurassic Minutes listeners, Brad here. Do you like the Jurassic franchise? Of course you do. You listen to this podcast and most likely the other Jurassic-themed podcasts out there. If you're not, go and do it right now. But do you also like mysteries and mysteries pertaining to the Jurassic franchise? Well, David and I have teamed up to produce a special Patreon-only show deep into some of those mysteries. What did kill the men on the parasailing boat in Jurassic Park 3? What is the real story behind the five deaths? And did a hurricane really hit Isla Nublar back in 1993 during the Jurassic Park incident? All these mysteries and more we tackle twice a month for your listening pleasure. For as low as a dollar over at our Patreon page, Jurassic Minutes. Head over, check out the podcast, and let's go on the journey to solve some mysteries together. World fan out there named Lofty Splines. I think his uh, real name's on his blog. I'm not going to bring that up, but you can. Um, we're going to post a link up, and I think I already did on the uh, Facebook page with a progress video. He's uh, he started trying to do the worker village and then mainly the operations building in the uh, trespasser engine to um, pretty much just make a walkthrough of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, also, unfortunately, the sort of Trespasser being as buggy as it is, <laughs> he had to abandon mm-hmm. that and went to um, a different game engine to uh, to build the operations building. And he um, started the first week in October. He posted up a progress video, which blew me away. <laughs> and, um, a fantastic looking operations building for the most part. Still just a work in progress, but you can walk into or he shows you walk into it, flip the power switch in the. Uh, communications room and all the computers and lights and everything light up and mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really nice when he's when he's finished it yeah I've, I've seen it I wish that we got to see more of the village itself he doesn't really show it off a lot unfortunately mm-hmm. and he spends a lot, most of the video kind of comparing what he's done with the images from the movie I really would have preferred to have just seen like a walkthrough of the village itself and see be able to see what he's actually been doing with it. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of one thing I noticed here, and even um, having a bit of a search through DeviantArt last night, there seems to be a lot of people that are taking your map and sort of your interior of the mm-hmm. operations building and using that in, in creating these works, which... Mm-hmm. It's great to see, and we sort of discussed when we were at that scene or in these minutes in the Lost World of whether or not it's offices or the lab on that unseen area of the operations building, what exactly is in there. But well, the, my map was that um, open area, or not open area. The um, the map I did with the 
and the cut through of the interiors, that was actually done as a response to uh, a text-based role-play that we used to have on Jurassic Park Legacy called Live the Legend. And I did it to kind of standardize the descriptions because everybody gave their own descriptions of the Worker Village. So I thought, why don't I take what we do know of the villages, of the village, map uh, map out those interiors, and and be able to just use that to kind of standardize so everybody's on the same page with it. It was never mm -hmm. meant to actually be official. We don't actually know what those uh, things are, or what that space is on the other side of the lobby, opposite the radio room. But we do. We don't know what the interior of the boarding house looks like. In fact, I specifically never made a cut through of it because of that reason. <laughs> yeah, and if, if we go back to the um, to the slides episode, well, it's completely hollow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was just about to say. Um, it's in fact they didn't finish it. It's a two-story hollow structure, and so. I only mapped out what we knew. I let, since it was a text-based roleplay, I did allow a lot of room for the imagination to roam. So I kind of left it bare. It's bare minimum uh, interior. It's mm -hmm. definitely not official. It's nothing that I know of. There's nothing that I um, ever intended to be used as a reference. But. As I as I have noticed, them my, my maps do actually seem to get around. I actually noticed um, I forget what his name is, Jesus Kavazek, Jesus C. <laughs> <laughs> but he did he did this kind of Isla sort of field guide that used my Worker Village map, it, and it is on the on the official uh, not the official it's on the uh, it is on the Wikia page for the Worker mm -hmm. Village, so that map is out there. It's I'm sure seen by a, a lot. It, I will admit, is probably the most accurate map ever made of that village. Yeah. But the interior version of it, the it was an alternate version that I made. That was never meant, intended to be used to reference anything. The, the main version of the map I, I, that's on the Wikia, on Jurassicpedia, and everywhere else. Yes, that is. That is my. I didn't intend to make that as accurate as possible, so people did know what it looked like, based on set photos, video, <clears throat> just examining the film itself, and. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I gave me tickle to you. <laughs> I did. You did. And just mapping the village out as accurately as possible, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I, it, it also sort of gives more hints too. As that day when Spielberg rang production and said, "What do you got done? Finish it." Um, when mm -hmm. moving to San Diego, just how far ahead the operations builder building must have been and the gas station, just to have them complete. Um, even though they would have said, "Well, especially the kiln house or the kiln shed, we have a major set piece in this. It's got to be dressed inside." Where the um, the boarding house must have been in. In or nearing completion, they didn't even say not we're not even gonna we're not going in there, so we don't need to dress it inside. Um, well, it looked like from the way that they were building the village, that they were building from the 
from the operations center down it, and mm. everything so they started with the operations center all the videos show that's where i mean not videos all the early uh pre-production sh images of that set what shows that they dug out that pit they installed a um filtration system into it they uh, uh they slammed the pylons into that pit that was the first thing to go up the worker or not the worker the uh operations center was the first thing to be built for that set yeah, you can see there's, a, there's a behind the scene. I was just gonna say there's a behind the scene photo out there where you see from behind the set looking forward, mm -hmm. and it's a clear, clear open space all the way to the uh, the psycho house. And that's one interesting thing. I know you've um, you've put down sort of a silhouette of where the uh, the village would have stood on that current backlot, and mm -hmm. it would have consumed the psycho house. So, what would have happened there if they did go the full 13 building design for the worker village? I, still, been interesting. I think they probably would have CGI'd it out or dressed it in a way that mm. with temporary set dressing so that it was hidden. I see being Spielberg being the film fan that he is, I cannot see him destroying something like the Psycho House, even for one of his own movies. Yeah, yeah, no, I could see it as some sort of building that dress the lower level and the camera just wouldn't you'd see them come into the village and the camera wouldn't rise above sort mm -hmm. of that, that first story so you they wouldn't have to touch the roof and anything mm -hmm. well most of the um, images we get of the most of the concept images that we get of the village from above is looking down the street to the um, mm. to the operation center I think there's only a, I can I can recall only maybe one or two possibly images that we have of looking the, down the street the opposite direction, and we would have seen cliffs, and we see cliffs there, and like it's bumped up actually against the cliff edge. It's not, mm. I mean, it's in the movie, it's kind of away from the cliff edge, it's down in a valley, but it, in, the, in the concept art, it was bumped up against the edge of the cliffs, and I think they would have probably maybe CGI that or use the matte painting to cover, to create those clips to hide the psycho house. Hmm. Yeah. And at night time, you wouldn't have to, it wouldn't have to be that textured or detailed. You just have sort of um, any light or glow sort of reflecting mm -hmm. off the rocks. Precisely. In fact, I mean, they probably could have reused a lot of set pieces from the other scenes. Like for example, the um, trailer hanging off the cliff where they had the, mm -hmm. where they dressed up the side of the, um, parking garage yep so yeah <laughs> that's um we've posted up the link to that blog <laughs> we got a little bit off topic there but <laughs> i was gonna say it's cool we love the lost world <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh, and we're gonna get yeah gonna get back to that when we get to um the lab here coming up in a few minutes time i suppose the one other thing i was wondering the other day is the helipad for that operations building being being built out of steel and that because it needed to be an active helipad for the mm -hmm. shoot. Yeah, the, the helipad was built to code for that uh, because they actually had to land a helicopter on it. It's interesting because that's like the only part of the structure still standing. Yeah, yeah. Which which is sort of interesting because a lot of the, the pre-San Diego script and even going into the script itself, the helicopter, there was never a helicopter pad there. It was... The helicopter was going to hover over the operations building and rip or tear some of the roof above the communications room away, 
and um, and go and put down either out in the street or out on another building's roof. Mm-hmm. Where where that that seems to be a very late addition. I'm just trying to think of those early photos if the helipads there or not. I think in the um, in the maquette it was there. Oh yeah, that's but right. Not in most of the concept art. Originally, the yeah. helicopter was supposed to land on top of the geothermal plant. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All those miniatures they've used, even the one under the waterfall's got that little helipad off to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's get back on topic. <laughs> um, David, read again to minute seven of Lost uh, of Dress Park Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we end on minute six of Jurassic Park Three, Alan was telling Ellie about the research he'd been doing into Raptor communications. And then, as the minute ended, Ellie had realised that the raps could talk to each other. As minute seven opens, Alan tells Ellie that they could communicate to a degree they never imagined. Alan then leans over the table and smiles. Ellie, they'll smart. They'll smarter than whales or dolphins, smarter than primates. At the 12 second mark, we fade to outside Ellie's house. As Alan starts the car and winding down his window, Ellie says if he ever needs any help with anything, just to ask, and he often forgets to do that. At the 30 second mark, Ellie tries to reassure Grant again, telling him he's still the best. And Alan replies, the last of my breed. And as the Jurassic Park tune slowly plays on a piano in the background, Alan slowly reverses out of Ellie's driveway, which he thinks is the last time you'll see her. At the 48 second mark, we cut from Alan's car driving out of the driveway to a table of fossils in a large auditorium. In the background, Alan can be heard talking more about velociraptor cranial cavities. And as the seventh minute ends, Alan's telling the group that the raptors were capable of sophisticated vocalisations. After we end the last minute with Ellie realising the raptors could talk to each other, um, Great now replies to her that they did with uh, a degree we could never imagine. And... Um, Alan sort of leans over the table here and gets really serious and says early they were smart, they were smarter than dolphins or whales, they were smarter than primate, primates. <laughs> and you sort of, again, get that really creepy Alan <laughs> smile. And... Now, in defense of that line, there are some uh, species of bird, including corvids, which are ravens and crows, that are very intelligent. They're, like, raptor-level intelligent. I wouldn't say they're smarter than primates, but there, I mean, I've seen videos of crows where they've where they've figured out displacement in order to get like the peanut out of a little flask. Mm-hmm. And they had they had they had to figure out which, how much weight would displace enough water to float the peanut to the top of the glass so they could eat, so they could get to it. Mm. Yeah, I've I heard somewhere else that um, there was research done on. Them. In um, sort of Northern America and Canada, where they sort of um, mirroring wolf wolf packs and sort of ch- following wolf packs around, knowing when they feed, and um, I have to see if I can find that to <laughs> do it justice. But yeah, just the, the intelligence there. I don't. Mm-hmm. Like we're starting to move away from the fact that whales and dolphins are the other smart animals on the planet. Yes, they are smart, but I think. Like, there's a lot of um, evidence now just how intelligent pigs are, and mm-hmm. again, maybe more mammals than avian or birds, but um, there's definitely smart birds out there. Well, continuing with that, we, uh, speaking of studies, they did um, a study on crows uh, a few years back that 
discovered that crows actually recognize faces. If, mm-hmm. if they can recognize, they re- they'll recognize people who are mean to them and attack them versus, and can differentiate those people that are mean to them from people that have been nice to them. So, I mean, th- these are birds that are differentiating between friend and foe based completely on visual cue. Mm-hmm. And that's that, and they yeah they remember they do <laughs> and it's even even weapons like you mm-hmm. you're gonna be very 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 sneaky to be able to shoot a crow. Oh, yeah. um, and they'll remind so, if you miss they'll remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just makes me want that the um that jump scare at the start of Jurassic World. That's a crow in the snow, isn't it? Oh yeah. In front of the yeah little drone for the Indominus <laughs> you've got you've got dinner coming uh, but we sort of um, we fade out here and to uh, outside of Ellie's um, Ellie's scared face as we got Alan in the car and um, Ellie says I just want to say if you ever need help anything sometimes you forget to ask so you can call me anything anytime and sort of Alan replies sure and starts his car and there's a bit of an uneasy moment of silence and Ellie tells Grant that he's still the best, and she, she means it. <laughs> and then we get that line from Alan, which he's probably been holding on to from Jurassic Park, and when Ian's told him he's extinct, he's he's the last of his breed. Mm-hmm. And we get that slow piano Jurassic Park tune um, play as well, which is a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I think this is actually this scene right here, and the scene it fades into, is interesting because it shows a glimpse of what dress or not. Uh, well, paleontology has become in the age of Jurassic Park. It's mm. obsolete, and in fact, it has become extinct. It's become an obsolete um, profession, and has, in effect, evolved. And then we see in Jurassic World that it, in effect, evolves into something new, like paleo veteran. Uh, uh, yeah, that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yep. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. No one's going to counter next minute or next couple of minutes where he um, gets asked that exact same question and it's sort of I wish it was flushed out a little bit more in the new mil- the new movies just what exactly has happened to paleontology I'm guessing if um, if Grant does have a cameo in the third film then maybe maybe we'll see more of that and find out what what's been going on but it's just it's just good to see that there's there's sort of consequences mm-hmm. for what for what happened at Jurassic Park even though the world itself may know about, they don't know everything, or they might know everything, but it, um, there's consequences for that. Yeah, Ellie just sits there watching sadly as Grant reverses out of the driveway and out of her life again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's when we get the uh, the transition. We start to hear Alan's voice over the transition as we cut to a new location, and uh, we've got a camera panning past a table covered in various fossils, mainly claws, um, as... Alan's talking more about raptor skulls, and at the 52 second mark, it's a little bit dark, but I reckon that looks like the uh, the resonating chamber that we see later, sitting on that table, <laughs> as I'm a prop. I'm not sure. I definitely think that it might be, but I would personally like to see behind the scenes image of all that table, just because there's a lot going on in that on that table that, frankly, overlooked very often. There's an actual skull of the Velociraptor. That we've mm. never seen in the main, in any of the movies beyond that 3D or not uh, the uh, X-ray scan on Billy's computer, 
And frankly, it's I'd like to see what the physiology of velociraptors in uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> mm. Yep. Yeah, well, the only the only thing we really see outside of them alive in Jurassic Park is the um, the underground sonar we see in the, the start of Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And as you said, yeah, the skull that scans on the computer a little bit later. There's no. Oh, and we get the skeletons, of course, that they've dug up in the first one here in mm-hmm. a few minutes' time. So. But even then, I mean, they're just skeletons. We never actually get to see a good reconstruction of the skeletal structure of a Jurassic Park Velociraptor. Mm. And the good thing to keep in mind is the way that we see skeletons in Jurassic in the Jurassic Park movies, that is not how they come out of the <laughs> come out of the ground. They come out very fragmented, very deformed, and you gotta really kinda piece them back together and undeform them to actually get a accurate look of what these animals look like. Hmm. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to that when we get to the scene of that later on. It's just, if if you're pulling a specimen out of the ground like that, that's a million, multi-million dollar specimen that you right. wouldn't have kids working on or students working on. You'd have the best <laughs> the best team in there to make sure that comes out in one whole piece. Yeah, right. It's almost like um, Sue the T-Rex, where, I mean, it was an incredibly, mm. the, it was without a doubt the best preserved T-Rex we ever had. And even then, at some point when after she died, the her hit, her skull got flipped underneath her body, which got crushed. So when the when the bones fossilized, they they just became really deformed, and the jaws all crooked and smashed in, and they had like again they had to undeform it. Mm. Yeah, well that's and that's cartilage and everything that holds bones together is the first thing to disappear and that 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 goes well before fossilization starts and mm-hmm. if you might be looking for a fossil and you might find a claw or something well you're not going to be digging immediately in that sort of one or two meter radius of where you found that claw you're going to be going out to 50 100 meters <laughs> to find other parts it's, it's going to be sort of spread all over the place so i still personally think there's uh, something of a crime that alan stole a raptor claw of such good condition from the tick site, pockets it, and then tosses it <laughs> into the jungle like it was a piece of trash. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that is like probably a... That, that bone alone was probably worth at least half a million dollars. Yeah, especially especially if the design of that too, like you've, you've got the bottle opener, um, how it's, like, it's nice and long and real... Um, thin and you look at it and you can see how this could tear someone's stomach open where mm-hmm. there's a couple of um, couple of fossils which I'm assuming are real fossils maybe cast or what have you that they use for this table but there's some claws here where the claws are just big and fat it's it's like um, the one Eric has later mm-hmm. it's it doesn't like it, it, there's no cutting edge to it it's just a big fat round cone sort of design and whether that's whether that's how they actually were or whether it's just a, a larger he, he, he suggests it's off the raptor, but it, it looks more like something, a, a finger claw off the Spinosaur or T-Rex or something. Just just a big round claw and not necessarily a serrated edge to it or anything like that. But yeah, as you said, it's sort of one thing we never really know, know much about, and that's the stuff on the table here. Mm-hmm. But the camera continues to pass, pass it, and we, <laughs> that's the last we see of that. And um, we get a focus of the auditorium, and we see it full of people. And so Alan continues um, 
this lets us theorize, theorize, mind you, that the raptor was capable of sophisticated vocalizations. And that's where um, this minute sort of ends. We get the rest of his speech next minute, and um, and the questions. <laughs> but uh, before we get to that, script comparisons. Um, we don't get the whole smarter than whales or dolphins that's in the film in the script. That must have been added later on, um, just to sort of again emphasise the intelligence of the raptors. Um, and Ellie's sort of suggesting that um, Alan thinks that they could talk to each other and she's not really saying they could. She's just asking, do you think they could talk to each other? And that's where he sort of replies with a degree we never imagined. And then we get the parrot, Jack, in the corner, squawk out bullshit. <laughs> Which, <laughs> he finally got him to talk and um, they both look over at the parrot and Ellie smiles and says, you taught him that. <laughs> Which is is interesting that one Alan taught him that word, which I'm, I'd assume is one of many words he vocalised to Jack. But Jack has the uh, the understanding to to bring that word up now. Uh, just as he's got, um. If I ever got a pet bear, uh, pet parrot, you know I'm teaching him that thing every swear in the book. <laughs> oh yeah. Growing up on growing up on the farm here, I know I know a lot of family members, relatives, and friends that had um had galahs and cockatiels and that and they they will just sit there and listen whether you know it or not even if you're trying to teach them um there's famously stories of people they'll they'll be just walking walking out of the house or visiting someone all of a sudden the 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 bird will just start rattling off swear words and that that two people might have had conversations with and (laughs) never even never even went up to the bird and just Started repeating bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> Try and get them to learn it. They've just learnt that on their own. Well, in a way, their minds are like infants. They they just soak up everything around them, you know. Mm. Yeah, and that again goes back to what we we're talking before about the um the intelligence. Yeah. But, um, outside in the car, we also get a little bit um of extra stuff as well. We see Owen and Ellie walk towards a rented car in a driveway, and um, Ellie wishes him good luck with the fundraising. Um, Alan replies it was never easy, but before Jurassic Park, you could find money somewhere. Now fossils are out, everyone wants to see real-life dinosaurs, which, again, goes to that part before where the the cost and the, the knowing real-life dinosaurs exist um, is sort of taken away from those that are doing the hard work in the rock and, rock and ground. Um, Ellie sort of comes back at him, times change, Alan, but you're still the, the best, I mean that. Um, and there's long, long pause before they sort of both consider where they've ended up. And um, after Ellie sort of offers the ear, um, whenever Alan needs it, Alan sort of thinks to himself deep down, knowing that um, that he never will. He knew he'll never, he'll never call her if he needs her help or talk to her. And he sort of says goodbye, Ellie, and gets in the car and starts the engine. And as he goes to reverse out the driveway, Ellie runs up and taps on the window. Um, and so it has an interesting little line here. He said, when I met you, I thought that one day, millions of years ago, all the dinosaurs become extinct, wiped out. But you told me otherwise. Then conditions changed, dinosaurs changed, they became other things, they evolved. <laughs> Which is a game that, that evolved mm-hmm. thread that keeps on going through this film. But um, just well, sort of... That's also really true, is that the public misperception or misconception is that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. They didn't. Mm. There was a, if you want to be technical, dinosaurs are still alive today. 
Yeah. We call them birds. They're a branch of theropod. That though, and theropods, as we know, are dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So in a way, she's right. She thought uh, if you want to, if you ask anybody off the street, they'll say that one day, million years ago, all the dinosaurs became extinct, wiped out. But if you ask a paleontologist, they'll tell you. Conditions change. Dinosaurs change. They became birds. They evolved. Dinosaurs mm. are still among us. Yeah, and even not even looking at dinosaurs, just looking at animal varieties across the span of existence, just having to evolve to meet new conditions. The Ice Age, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the Ice Age, continental drift and everything else. So um, it, it's definitely happened in nature, and it sort of adds to Ellie's argument here. Um, because she simply says to Alan, don't be afraid to evolve as well. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that that's kind of, not to get too critical here, but that is one of the great ironies of this fandom is that the fandom has become so against the dinosaurs in these movies and that the first Jurassic Park did everything it could to tell us dinosaurs were, that birds are dinosaurs. (laughs) Grant even mm. says, well, the T-Rex and the Gallimimus, you'll never look at birds the same way again. <laughs> he's look, he's, as he's leaving Jurassic Park, he looks out the window and he sees a pelican and he smiles because he knows that's, mm. what, that's what they became. Yep. I was just going to see if I could bring the, the whole condors thing in, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. But um, we get a half-four smile from Alan as he waves goodbye and... Uh, Ellie knows it didn't get through to him. He's sort of stubborn, <laughs> which you sort of see that in the film as well, where, especially when we get to um, the next couple of minutes where he starts have to, having to deal with the public. But Ellie sort of watches him drive off, and that's where the minute ends. We don't actually get to the uh, auditorium yet. Um, after that, uh, David, anything else on minute... I forgot which one it was. Minute seven, you want to discuss before we get out of here for the week? No, I think we did. We think we covered that pretty well. Hmm. And we managed to get back into some Lost World talk in the Worker Village. <laughs> uh, which was going to happen because I've been getting back into Trespasser and sort of exploring the sauna again via Trespasser and just how much of Trespasser sort of makes sense on a real-world sauna but doesn't um, doesn't sort of exist in the film canon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get out of here. All right, sure. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at lostworldminute.com. The main website is jurassicminutes.wordpress.com and you can find the Lost World Minutes and Jurassic Minutes over on Facebook with the uh, pages there. David, where are you on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter, we are at Jurassic Minute. Uh, Instagram is the Jurassic Minutes Podcast. Some of the worst things imaginable have been done with the best intentions. This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. If we split up, I'm going with you guys. Dinosaurs lived 65 million years ago. What is left of them is fossilized in the rocks. And it is in the rock that real scientists make real discoveries. Now what John Hammond and InGen did at Jurassic Park is create genetically engineered theme park monsters. Nothing more and nothing less. Uh, Are you saying that you wouldn't want to get onto Isla Sorna and study them if you had the chance? No force on Earth or Heaven could get me on that island.
Your desk. Hello? Charlie! Charlie! Hello? Charlie, take the phone to Mommy now! It's the, it's the dinosaur there! Okay.